everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Unapologetically Different Podcast. I'm your co-host, Key. And I'm your co-host, Coach P. We are back in full effect season five. Woo! Lego! <laughs> Can you believe it? It's lit! <laughs> um, if you've been following us from season one... Top five, top five, top five. <laughs> if you've been following us in season one... Um, you know that we produce eight episodes per season and we normally take about a month break so that we could recuperate, take some time to really evolve our podcast and take it to another level. And we do a lot of behind the scenes work. So that's one of the things that we try to work on while we're on break. It was good. It was exciting because I know like we have some things in the works and like we're actually we're taking the podcast to another level. So that feels good. And we got to stay really active on social media and just like really seeing the like the interaction between us and the fans like that's I love that. Yeah, I enjoyed our break because as much as you may think that because we're not putting out a show every week, which you normally do, we are still doing a lot of work and we're trying to get things done. The only thing is when there's hot topics and things going on. I miss the show because I miss us talking about these topics and that's why we try to be very active on social media, which we'll get into later on in the show, <clears throat> um, to kind of keep, you know, keep it upbeat and make people know that we're present and we still know what's going on. And speaking of, we have new developments in regards to our podcast and the direction we're going in. Our website will be launching in a couple of weeks. Wait, what? <laughs> we got a website? If you don't stop. <laughs> You need to stop. You're doing all this stuff behind. That's like behind the behind the scenes. I didn't even know that was going on. Sorry for not putting you on. But we do have a website coming up in the next couple weeks. So please look out for that. Bear with us. We just starting it off and we've been doing all the work ourselves. So um, yeah. Talk about creativity. Um, also, as you know, our theme song, which is like amazing, is now a ringtone. Um, our theme song can be purchased on Tune Store for Androids. I don't even know why people have Android. Let me bring it back. Oh, be disrespectful. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on, really? Too early? Yes. Too soon? That's, damn. That's, wow. <laughs> Sorry for the shade. Not really. Um, so you can purchase our ringtone on Tune Store for Androids and on iTunes for Apple devices. We will add the links to the show notes so you can get that today. Make sure you get our ringtone, guys. Please support, support, and continue to support us. And our, our theme song is amazing, so why wouldn't you want to wake up to that or answer a phone call to that? Yeah, it is actually pretty lit. I love like <laughs> setting my timer at the gym. Once that comes off, I'm just like, mm, time to relax. It's lit. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of more new developments, we're actually going to be starting a book club, and I'm really excited about that. I've been wanting to read more books, really kind of get off my electronics and watching television, and just just really just get hold something and just get some knowledge from it. So I'm excited about that. And Me too. Yeah, seriously. And we're going to be, the way it's going to work, we're going to do four books per season and in between our breaks. And... We'll post the book on our social media and also introduce it during our episodes so that the followers and listeners and all our fans out there, you guys can actually get the book and follow along with us. And usually within two episodes, we'll go, up, we'll go back and basically review the book. So the first book we're actually going to be reading is The Four Agreements, A Practical Guide to Personal Freedom by Don Miguel 
Ruiz. Oh, damn, Poppy. You heard that? That's what we doing now? All that tongue game? Is that serious? Listen. That's what you be doing? Whoa, whoa. This is, <laughs> this is supposed to be a family show. Yeah, okay. Clearly, that's not the case. Save that for the DMs. <laughs> Stupid. Coach underscore P. <laughs> Sliding them joints real quick. But yeah, so um, definitely if you want to be a part of the book club, get the book. We're going to post it on the social media as well so you guys are aware. And this is... I'm. I'm, I keep saying it, but I'm excited because I'm actually going to start reading more, getting off the screens, and just it just makes things better that way. Definitely. Yeah. And also another part of our podcast, if you've been following us a lot on social media, we have been doing Woman Crush Wednesdays. And in part, we do it to honor women who have used their platform to talk about social injustice issues, women continuing the good fight to bring about change in our society in regards to equality, inclusion, and leadership, and also those who build awareness. Um, we recently honored Marielle Franco. She was a 38-year-old popular councilwoman from Rio de Janeiro. Um, she was a vocal critic of police brutality and their deadly violence against black people in the city and the country. She was recently assassinated on March 17th. Ironically, it was during Women's History Month. Many believe her death was orchestrated by the very people she was criticizing. Marielle is a prime example of the type of woman we honor. Um, They continue the good fight and put their life on the line to implement change. In the word of Fred Hampton, you can kill a revolutionary, but you can never kill the revolution. Rest in power, Marielle Franco. Yeah, um, definitely rest in power. Another soul taken too soon. And I think Fred Hampton said it better than anyone else could have. Um, she might be gone, but the battle that she was fighting is going to be continued to get waged on until until that day comes when it's just re- really equality for everybody. Yeah, and also, too, to tie it into that, if, in fact, she was killed by the people she was criticizing... That makes the citizens of that certain city or country realize that there is some form of corruption going on. Yeah. So y'all telling on yourselves, y'all really assassinated her. So we do hope that they find a culprit who did it. But we appreciate women like her um, who are actually putting their life on the line and fighting this good activism work. And we honor all kinds of women on our um, social media. So follow us and stay in tune with who we're going to have tomorrow. And I just I'm I just realized I'm gonna throw this in out of nowhere. Key's looking at me like I know this dude not throwing a curveball at me. Go ahead. So Get by, fancy. by the time this episode comes out, it's gonna be the fiftieth anniversary of Martin Luther King's death or sorry, his assassination. And so yeah, just wanna really just have everyone present to that. Without the works that MLK did, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing here today. So um, yes, another rest in power. This is a fact. Yeah. So, um, for moving on, we're going to be talking about the Coach P segment and how we're just going to really be developing that this season. So what that's going to look like is I'm going to be really sharing my Coach P quote of the days, which is these motivational, inspirational quotes that I send out to an uh, email list. And if you guys aren't on that list already, you definitely want to get on it because... Definitely get on it. I get the emails every day, and I really do like the quotes. I do read them, and they give me a bit of motivation. Yeah, and that's that's really what I I do it for. I really want to just just send out a little message each day so that people, if they're dealing with something, 
like something that just turns it around for them or something that just really resonates and may help the problem that they're going through. Um, oftentimes it's really something, it's really personal to me, but it just, it's just like serendipity, how it can just be what I'm dealing Big with. Word. Yeah. <laughs> Big word. Big <laughs> word. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, it's just crazy how like sometimes I'll be dealing with something and I'll send out a message about it and then I'll get messages back saying, I was dealing with the exact same thing or this really helped me with something I was going through. So if you want to get added to that list, definitely shoot us a DM on our social media, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or you can send us an email at unapologeticallydifferent at gmail.com and we'll get you added to the email list. And also, you, as you guys know, I'm like really big into health, nutrition, fitness, so we're really going to start posting workout videos. Yeah, working on them apps. Yeah, 20, 2018 summertime. See them six pack I'm coming trying, in. No, I'm not there. I'm not there yet. You got like two and a half. You know, I'm trying to. I got faith. I'm trying to like keep it keep it under wraps. Like it's under construction right now. Yes, yeah, a lot of work to get done. <laughs> when, when, once it's done, that's gonna it's gonna be. I might have to bring back the romper. <laughs> really, you gonna wear an impeachment pink? Which one? <laughs> okay, pause. I'm more. Nah, I remember back in like back in one of our early episodes, yes. I was like, if I'm gonna wear a romper, I just gotta have my body right, <laughs> that button right down a bit. <laughs> but yeah, um, I digress. I'm gonna be doing some workout videos, just showing you guys some different routines, things that you can implement if you want to like really work on your fitness because health is wealth and movement is life. So me and Key, we're definitely committed that you guys get to be the happiest, healthiest version of yourself each day. And that's really what Coach P is all about. So I'm excited for that. And please note that I'm super excited about Coach P segment evolving because Pierre has so much potential, as I've been telling him throughout. Um, and also, he's really big into health and fitness, like way more than I am. And for you guys to really see the the work that he's going to be doing and how Coach P is going to be evolving and Coach P is also a life coach on the side. So I feel like it's great that our followers and listeners are getting more of an insight into you and who you are. And I'm really excited about it. And I'm going to make sure he's going to get it done so y'all know what time it is. Okay? <laughs> Let's go. And with that being said, um, we've noticed that since we've been posting, um, a lot of our listeners and followers have been engaging with us primarily on Instagram, and we're open to constructive criticism and great dialogue around these issues. Uh, we had a couple trolls, oh. also known as Satan. For those trolls, y'all can stay away because I really don't have the time or energy. Well, I did she, for one girl. I would, I was she called I would, her whole life on that post. I was literally about to say, you definitely got the energy for them. <laughs> the trolls actually be fueling you. <laughs> Kiana's ready to go at them. <laughs> But no, we do want our followers and listeners to engage with us depending on what topics we discuss. And so right underneath our post and also we'll definitely keep you posted on our next episode and what we're going to be engaging and talking about, which is a plus as well. So in our previous episodes, we discussed police brutality and the significance of Black Lives Matter. Mm. In season two, episode nine, titled Another Day, Another Hashtag, we discussed Jordan Edwards. In season two, episode 13, titled The Verdict, we discussed Philando Castile. So please go check out those previous episodes and let us know your thoughts on them. Now, unfortunately, we lost another innocent black man. Yes, yeah, so on March 18th, Stephen Clark was murdered in Sacramento by two police officers. So the two officers were dispatched to the Meadowview neighborhood in South Sacramento to investigate a report that 
someone was breaking car windows. I'm sorry, just just even discussing it, it just seems like it's the same narrative, it's the same over narrative, and same over. story. And then just insert new blackmail. Um, so the two officers, along with a helicopter from the county sheriff's department, joined the search and were looking for the alleged person breaking into cars. The officers eventually spotted Mr. Clark, who appeared to have ran from them into his grandmother's backyard. Not a stranger's backyard, not just like some random location. He went home to where he was staying. Where he's supposed to be safe. Right, exactly. At grandma's house. (laughs) Shit is ridiculous. Shit is crazy, bro. So, in a body cam video, you can hear the officer shouting the word gun and began opening fire almost immediately. After the officers approached Mr. Clark, no weapon was found on him, and the only object found near him was his cell phone. He was unarmed and innocent. So they basically confused his cell phone for a gun. Classy. Very, very classy. And, and I, so. You right? To be honest, it just, it bothers me, like, a lot now. Like, obviously it's been an issue for a while, but it's just, like, when you think things have died down, it's just, like, it just pops up right around the corner again. So, he was shot at 20 times and was struck 8 times from the back, which was a direct conflict, a conflict from what the police had reported when they said he was approaching them. He had his back to them. He was shot 3 times in his lower back, twice near his right shoulder, once in the neck, once under the armpit, and shot in the leg once. And there's actually an autopsy which was posted, and you can actually check that out on our social media sites. Um, as he was being shot, his grandmother heard the gunshots from inside her home, which is really sad, but was not aware that the cops were shooting for her grandson. I mean, if you're in your home and you hear gunshots, you don't think they're shooting someone you know, especially a relative. And in the initial account, the police department said that Mr. Clark had advanced towards the officers. Now, the family lawyer as some of you may know, is Benjamin Crump. This is the same lawyer who represented in Trayvon Martin case and the Michael Brown case. And he said the independent autopsy contradicted the assertion by the police that was a threat. So how the hell can you be a threat if you are fleeing? Like, riddle me that, Blue Lives Matter. Like, I want to know, how are you a threat if you running from them? And you got a cell phone. Like, bruh, I, I'm, I really just, I need answers, Sway. I really need answers. So the video footage revealed, which I'm going to say I didn't watch because I'm not, I'm at a point where I can't watch those things anymore because they do, they, there's been studies saying that they cause trauma onto us to view those videos. You viewed it. Yeah. How was that? You, you want to talk about it? I was. How made you feel? Felt I, good? I was sick. To my stomach when I was watching it because see that's why I don't watch that no more. When I don't it, need to see us murdered to get that y'all fucked up. <laughs> like I don't, I don't need to see it. I don't. I, we know what the narrative is. Same story. It's a formula. Insert black man here. Yeah, and the, I guess what really bothered me about this one in particular 
was they didn't announce that they were the police. Like, they just ran at him while, and he ran into the backyard. And then it's like once they saw him, it was like gun and just instantly started shooting 20 times. And it was like after you shot him, I'm not sure exactly how long. I think it was about two to three minutes or so before they actually said, hey, it's the police. We can't come and give you medical assistance unless we know you don't have a gun. I'm like, you just like shot at someone 20 times. <laughs> like, that and shit they're not moving. Like, what do you think is happening over there? You think they're just waiting for you to... I don't. Matter of fact, let me not... I can't even say that because you never know. And I understand the police, whatever, have their protocol, but... I was but clearly like, they're not following protocol. They didn't declare themselves as the police from the beginning. Yeah. So they're already fucked up from the beginning of the game. You know, like, this gets me tight. You didn't do your job. You didn't say you was a cop, which you're supposed to do. You shot at him 20 times. He's on the floor bleeding. You can't tell me you don't see blood coming out this boy's body. This man's body. Correction. And now it's, we're going to get you medic. But we just want to make sure that's a, that's, that's a cell phone. Like, clearly, what else you thought it was? And you know what's really unfortunate about this whole situation in regards to them waiting around trying to figure out if he had a gun or not and if they could have provided medics is that they revealed through the autopsy that there's a slight chance if he received medical assistance quickly, he could have his life could have been saved. So the autopsy showed Stephen lived for about three to ten minutes. Medical assistance did not arrive until six minutes after the shooting. So at a certain point, the police officers, and at a certain point, the police officers turned off their body cameras. The chief of police don't even know why they turned it off. And this is my problem. Body cameras were supposed to be a solution to this police brutality nonsense in our neighborhoods and communities. It was considered one of the solutions. Have them have body cameras. This is not the first time a cop has turned off their body camera on duty. So if you feel like what you was doing was right and you was doing your due diligence to protect and serve, why you turn off your body camera? If you felt like what you did wasn't at fault, why you turn off your body camera? Why are we producing solutions and you guys are not following through on proper protocol? Why are we talking about funding for body cameras? You have the funding. You're supposed to be using it. It's supposed to be on from start to finish. And you turn it off at some point throughout this incident. What do you have to hide if you feel like what you did was right? Yeah, I think even in the video when they... When they went to the body and they saw it was a cell phone, like you could hear one of the dudes was like, "Shit, we fucked up." <laughs> Yo, you lying? Yeah, basically he was like, "Shit," like that is so fucking sad, and it gets me tight because the grandma that the press conference, she was like, "Y'all didn't have to do him like that." Crying, y'all didn't have to do him like that. So what's what's gonna be your excuse now? I just, I really want to know what the excuse is going to be now. Like, that's ridiculous. I per, I did not want to watch the video because I was like, I, I know it's going to mess me up and I can't, like, I really can't. And to know that you saw the video and then he said that, it's like, really? Really? How you feel? You going home at night? You going to go home and tuck in your children and go to bed? Knowing that you took away another man's life over a cell phone? And he wasn't even a person you was looking for? And the, I, I, it's really crazy how, I, I don't even know if it's, threatening, just black skin, just really... Uh, uh, I mean, but it, it makes you have to consider you got black skin, are you a threat? You dark, you darker than me. 
clearly. You turn off the lights, you can't even see you. No shade. <laughs> no shade. You know I love you. I'm just saying. I'm uh, just saying. Yeah. Apparently we're all threats. So, the Sacramento Police Chief Daniel Han requested assistance from the California Department of Justice earlier this week, which is headed by the Attorney General Xavier Becerra, to really join the department's investigation as a real independent party. Mr. Han said he hoped that this step would reassure residents that the investigation would be impartial. And for me, I don't know. That just, it's like, that's not even... It's not even enough. Like, that's not going to... It's is not, it going to meet? Like, it's going to be the same thing It's going to be the same thing. It's going to be the same thing. It's always supposed to be independent. They bring somebody in, and it's like, we end up with the same results. So, Stephen Clark's brother, Savante Clark, has been very vocal about the incident, and he actually attended a town hall meeting where he pretty much shut down the meeting. Yo, he shut that joint down. Yeah. He was like, allow me to reintroduce myself. And you can actually see that, that, that footage on our social media as well. Very emotional footage. Yeah. Matt Barnes and Marshawn Lynch, who are an NBA player and an NFL player, have contributed towards the family's funeral. And Matt Barnes actually coordinated a rally for Stephen Clark as he's from the Sacramento area. And he's also working on creating a college fund for um, Stephen's two sons. He has two little boys, so adorable and cute. Um, so he's actually working on creating a college fund because... Him as well, Matt Barnes, have two sons. And he's like, I fear for my sons and for the community. So the fact that he's taking initiative to do so. And I just, I I think it's great when celebrities are stepping in and utilizing their platform to talk about these issues and bring it to the surface. Yeah. And this is one of the first times I've heard Matt Barnes speak about these things. I'm not saying that he has never had to take in any of these conversations. But this is my first time seeing him vocally come out and speak. And especially you know, want to put on a rally and create a college fund. And just, I think that's great. And I wish more of us would do that. It shouldn't have to be the case, but apparently this is becoming a trend. So it's like, we got to look out for ourselves type joint. Look out for each other as a community. Yeah. Shout outs to Matt Barnes, definitely. So an ongoing protest has been taking place in Sacramento and in New York City as well. And like he said, Stephen has two sons that are really going to be raised without a father now, and his girlfriend is a single parent due to the tragedy and the loss of her love. Once again, this is really just another modern-day genocide. It really is. Like, I feel like it's a form of, like, this is the way that we can kill them and get away with it. And it's like, let's continue doing so. It's funny, because Marlon Wayne did a comedy special, and he said, yo, are y'all playing Pokemon? Are y'all getting points for this shit? Because it's like open season. And it's crazy, but it's true. Like, what is going on? So, it's really sad, and it's disheartening, because I feel like, as you said, things simmer down. And mm. things not really simmer down for us. We have Trump in office. It's like, it's not simmer down. You know, you don't know what tomorrow going to be like. What's going to come out this man's mouth? Who going to be considered a shithole? So, it's like... We're going through that, and to know that it's simmered down in regards to police brutality, but not really, then this incident happened, and it's kind of, it put us in, puts us in a position of, like, what to do next. Yeah. You know, and what is so crazy about his death is that it's relatively similar to Amadou Diallo's death, 
which to me, I remember when I was younger and I saw on the news that this black man was shot by the cops and I didn't understand why. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I just knew that was a bit off. And the backstory was Amadou Diallo was shot at 41 times and he was struck 19 times in front of his apartment building, February 4th, 1999. He was murdered by four white police officers, a part of New York Police Department, NYPD. They mistook his wallet for a gun. He was only 23 years old. Um, all of the all of the police officers were acquitted, of course. There was no surprise there. And that's why there's similarities to Stephen's death and how that played out. And it's just so... I feel like history is just repeating itself. The crazy part is that I was so young when it happened, too. I, yeah, I was like 10 years old. Yeah. Um, I thought... I, I remember it as like a man, an old, an older man had gotten like. Because at the killed. time when you're young, you see him as a boy. He's really he was only twenty three. I'm older than he is now. That's crazy. That's crazy to me. Crazy. Crazy. So, what was your initial thoughts when you heard about this incident? Even prior to seeing the video, when you just first heard about it. Um, prior to seeing the video, I was just like, "Are you like again? Like really again?" Like, when is it gonna change, or when is when are things gonna get better? When are we gonna do something about it? Like, um, and honestly, my one of my thoughts was, like, if this was unarmed white men getting killed, how quickly would this just be shut down? Like, how fast into action would people really get? It would have been like a Charlottesville times ten. Tiki torches everywhere, bruh. Everywhere. That's exactly what would have happened. A men's march. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely insane. So, one of our followers on IG was actually questioning why did Benjamin Crump take this case because of his previously failed cases in representing Michael Brown and Trayvon Martin. Do you think he's the right person for the job, or should they, should Stephen Clark's family really seek another representative? Um, I mean, I don't know. I really don't... I think if we change the face of the representative, it's not going to make a difference, because it's the system that's the problem. Yeah. So, and that's what I was trying to get at with that, is the real concern is the system itself. Does it matter what attorney we get to represent him? Is it really going to make that much of a difference? Benjamin Crump has experience in this field. He's a civil rights attorney, um, especially coming from the cases of Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown. So he brings in that that level of not only that perspective into play, which I think is very important. I would like to see it play out and he's the representative, of course, and we win and we get justice, but I don't really think it matters about the representative. I really think it's more so about the system and that's what needs to be changed and that's not happening overnight. It's not being changed. And here we are. So that, to me, when the followers stated that, I was just like, yeah, but I don't think you're really looking at the bigger picture because it's not really the person. I think it's a, it's a, it's a system, and we have to deconstruct that system, and that's going to take some time. You, We came up with a resolution, slightly, body cameras, but we see dudes have the right to turn it off, which to me, how do you even have the control to turn off the body camera? That should not, it should be running nonstop. I want to see every angle of this video. I want to hear every bit of what you were saying to your partner as to when the shooting happened. 
So why are you turning it off? So to me, it's a system at play, and that is something that we have to work on. And it's like, where does that leave us as a community? People say, what happens after protests? Some people say we should. I like protesting. I'm big on protests. I feel like, like with Pierre, you view the video, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I feel like as a follow-up to that is attending a protest because you're around people, like-minded people, who are fighting for the same thing you're fighting for in terms of seeking justice in regards to this. I've been in that experience where I've attended a protest and I felt so much better. It didn't, It wasn't a drastic change, but I felt like I played a part into something. You know, um, so I, I like protests, I think, and it's a great way to you start doing the groundwork. It's I'd rather protest than me sitting around getting fancy using my Twitter fingers because I feel like that's just not enough for me. It may work for some people, but it ain't enough for me. The next step after protest, I'm not sure. I don't think it's, you know, I always say this. Is it our place to find a resolution to problems that we didn't put into play? I don't have a problem with being black, do you? Mm-mm. I, are you, you consider yourself a threat? Mm-mm. I'm not a threat. Well, it depends on my mood and my day. Because <laughs> you know, I get a little ratchet, honey. But, no real talk, I don't have a problem being black. So, I don't really think we should be coming up with solutions because we didn't create these problems. The real issues that we need to address is stop having cops from suburban neighborhoods come into our neighborhoods. You live in a suburb, stay in the suburbs. Stop coming into our neighborhoods. You don't know us. You don't understand our community and our culture. And a lot of y'all are shooting us off of fear. What are you scared of? What did you become a police officer to be scared of? You're using your trigger fingers instead of you actually trying to do your job and protect and serve. So, to me, I don't want to hear all of that. So, with that being said, that needs to stop automatically. Start recruiting officers on the force from the communities. Don't make the assumption because they're part of the community. They were gangbangers and they was this, they was that. No, not everybody came from that lifestyle. And and at the end of the day, if they did so, what? People change. That's why we talk about second chances. You go into, go into the prison industrial complex, you come out, you give them a second chance into society. Make the people part of the community cops on the force. They have that direct dynamic and relationship with the community. They don't assume that we yell at each other when we talk. They're like, oh, they're just playing. They just playing dice. They're not yelling at each other. They're not about to fight. That's how they. That's how they communicate. Like it's a culture thing. You know what I'm saying? I know when people hear me speak Patois, you speak Creole, whatever. They may think, oh, we loud, but it's like, no, it's a part of our culture. You know, for years I thought my dad was just yelling at me, but I was like, no, you just Jamaican and you just loud, and it's just who you are. You know, but. Those are the kind of people we need on the force. And I think that'll make a bit of a change because this whole body camera is not cutting it. What else do you think we need to do aside from protesting? I don't know. But I like what you said about the fear aspect of it because I think some of these police officers that are doing the shooting, they're just like, our skin is really just, apparently it's a very threatening weapon. And one of my friends actually said to me something that got me got me thinking. He said, because he's very big into marketing, and he was like, when he reads articles, listens to stuff on the news, like they'll have two two young boys, like let's say 12, 13 years old. They'll, and if it's a white boy, they'll say um, um, a young white boy, but then they'll say like a young adult for a black kid yeah, who's the same age. This or if you're like a, a teenager, a little bit older, they'll just they'll call the the black teenager a man, 
or with the white teenager or young adult. Like, basically, just like our skin makes us look look and appear older, also look and feel more threatening to people. So, and God forbid you got on a hoodie. Oh, f- oh God. And a bag of fucking Skittles. Bruh. It, and if you're big? Yo. <laughs> Yo. Once, once you're big, it's, it's over. It's a wrap. Yeah. It's a wrap. You can't even walk into a room. At all. Because they make that misconceived notion about who you are. Oh, he's black and big. That That's a bad man right there. We gotta go. Call the cops. You know what time it is. So since we're on the topic of guns and shootings, it seems like mass shootings have become the norm of our country, which is really sad. The current school shooting was at a high school in Parkland, Florida. On February 14th, Nicholas Cruz entered the freshman building with the AR-15 and opened fire into four classrooms, killing 17 people. That includes students, faculty, and staff. So, you know how this goes when it comes to mass shootings and if it's a white man involved or whatever the case may be. Anybody but black. Um, There were warning signs about his behavior, which is crazy to me. Like, there was a dozen 911 calls and at least two separate tips to the FBI. You know it's real when they contact the FBI. Facts. So what is the purpose How of the FBI? How do you even contact the FBI? <laughs> oh, for real? That too. I didn't even know you could. So, like, they sent an email. Like, how did it go? So, y'all got two tips. And this dude was still roaming the streets. I bet. But they ain't stopped there. In early 2016, deputies was called after a neighbor's son saw a disturbing Instagram post that seemed to suggest that Cruz was planning to shoot up the school. At a time... The deputies concluded that Cruz owned knives and a BB gun. They passed along that information to the school resource officer at Stoneman Douglas High School, but it's not clear whether any other steps were taken. So he faces up to 17 charges of premeditated murder, and the state attorney announced plans to seek execution of the 19-year-old suspect. Mm, Death penalty. Damn. That's That's a good one. And the plot thickens. What do you think about death penalty? I don't know how I feel about the death penalty. This is the time that you separate your utopia way of view in the world, put it to the side, and let's keep it 100. 17 people died. Imagine if those were one of your friends. I don't think, I guess, I don't believe in the death penalty. Yeah. Um, I think the death penalty is too easy. You get, you're just getting let off. You want him to suffer? Yeah, definitely. I'd much rather you suffer in jail for the rest of your life, whether it's, and I feel like, yeah, rather you be in jail the rest of your life and really having to deal with the, the consequences of what you did. I feel like when you die, you, that's really just an escape for you. Yeah. Um... And there's so many things that are worse than death that, like... But you really think he's going to be tortured in jail, though? I'm not saying... I, I didn't say... Like, when Dylan Roof killed him. those non-black people in that church, he was hungry. You know what the cop got him? Burger King. After he done bodied nine people in church. So you really think this dude is going to see, like, any kind of torturing in well, this? Well, not even torturing. Like, even... I guess what I'm thinking about 
is like solitary confinement. So I'm thinking of like Khalif Broder, how he was in Rikers for a year and most of that time was primarily spent in solitary confinement and just how that really messed him up. And I'd much rather somebody have to really deal with the consequences of their actions than to just get let off easy. And I just don't think it's anyone's place to take take someone else's life. No, I feel you. I mean, I'm kind of on the fence of it because I'm just like, the fact that he committed this heinous act and there were signs of what was going on. And of course, you know, the common reaction or innate reaction would be, all right, death penalty. But then again, I'm just on the flip side. It's like, I mean, there's people on a death penalty for less. So let's talk about that. Facts. Uh, <laughs> for real. Um, and on the flip side, I'm like, yeah, I understand the whole torturing aspect. And this is why I brought in the Dylan Roof element. It's because do men like him, like a Dylan Roof and a Nicholas Cruz, do they actually get treated that way in jail? Are they actually being tortured? You know what I'm saying? Like, is that actually happening to them? Because the demographic is different. Or what cells are they put in? How are they being treated? Like, to me, it's like, are they really getting the full jail experience? Uh-huh. As if they were, like, a black man, like a Khalif Brado, a Tyrone type joint, in jail. <laughs> like, I'm serious. Because, to me, with the Dylan Roof thing, off the rip, when he was like, he got Burger King, I was just like, this man just killed nine people. He lucky he could eat something. You want to stop to go get burger? Like, to me, it's like, so are these men that are not white, I mean, are these men that are not black or not men of color, are they getting the proper treatment in terms of them being actually tortured in prison from these acts? If you just go in there and it's just like an away camp for you, it's like, really now? Like, so that's why I was like, the death penalty may just be that because at least I know you're dead. So whether you enjoyed it or not, you're dead. Damn. You know what I'm saying? There's no special treatment. You're gone. So, my concern is, are they really getting the right treatments when they're in there? Like, are they treated differently because of who they are? Or it's it's across the board, it doesn't matter. That's all I want to know. So, that's why I'm kind of near the more so the death penalty, because I'm just kind of like, I really don't trust how they're being treated in prison. I would not be surprised if Dylan Roof is protected. Constantly protected. Whether he's in solitary confinement or not, he's protected. Khalif Rada wasn't protected. We've seen 13 documented. He wasn't protected. So, I see where you're going with it, but I'm still on the fence about that joint. So some of the survivors took immediate action and started the Never Again campaign. Some of the survivors consisted of Emma Gonzalez, Alex Wind, Cameron Kasky, Jacqueline Corinne, and David Hogg. National Walkout Day happened on March 14th, and it was an idea that originated from Empower which is the youth branch of the Women's March, and it's the main national voice encouraging people to participate. Yeah, you know what I just realized? What? A lot of joint happened in March, son. Yeah. Like, a lot. Crazy. March Madness. <laughs> That's what it is. So, it was a nationwide protest conducted by mostly students and teachers across the United States and across the world. The walkout lasted for 17 minutes to honor the 17 lives lost in the mass shooting. Some of the demands of the walkout and what the organization is trying to create is banning assault rifles, requiring universal background checks before gun sales, 
and pass a gun violence restraining order law that would allow courts to disarm people who display warning signs of violent behavior. And it was pretty dope, like, really just seeing all the students partake in the walk and just really, just really being the leaders of the future, really, like, generate change. But with that being said, going back to my earlier point, this happened in a a school that I believe is predominantly white. Yeah. And that's what it took for this to really go just national. But gun violence has been affecting underprivileged African-American communities for, seems like, forever. Yeah. And... Yeah, so I, I don't know. I just wanted to make no, that No, it's a point. very valid point. And also, kind of bringing it back to that, so March for Our Lives happened on March 24th in Washington, D.C. Like, one of the biggest marches I've ever saw, for that matter. It was really big. Um, a lot of people came out, even celebrities. <clears throat> and some of the students on stage, I think, gave some powerful speeches. It was like, Damn, to see this next generation of kids step into the plate. Yeah. You know, for a minute I was concerned because mm-hmm. I felt like we was doing most of the work. But as millennials, I mean, but to see the next generation step up and actually doing something and it's like, wow, and to put on this event and a lot of them who got on stage made some powerful statements in terms of in regards to what you said about <clears throat> guns being in um lower income communities. Edna Chavez, she spoke about losing her brother to gun violence and the effects it had on her community. It was a very emotional speech, and I'm glad that she spoke to that. Like, you know, not saying the school shooting is not important. It is very relevant, but this is going on in my neighborhood, around the block, around the corner, down the block. My brother was affected by this to the point that she doesn't have a brother anymore. And I think that's something that we should be mindful of. And I commend her for going on stage and speaking about that. Uh, one another person that spoke who I love um, is Naomi Wadler. Um, she's 11 years old. She participated in the walkout. Her and her friend conducted the walkout in 18 minutes instead of 17 because they wanted to honor Courtney Arrington, So, which is crazy. So Courtney was a victim of gun violence at her school in Alabama. This happened prior to the Parkland shooting. So apparently someone had a gun and he was showing it off and then she got hit and died. Like, and he hit himself too. And, but he survived it. And Naomi was there to acknowledge and represent African-American girls whose stories don't make the front page of mainstream media. And I really appreciate and commend this 11 year old girl to stand up on stage and speak to that. It's true. Our stories are never covered. We're not properly represented. And in order for this movement to thrive, we all have to be inclusive. Yeah, and speaking of just being inclusive, David Hoggs, a young white male, he discussed with the media how the media's biggest mistake was highlighting the voices of the white students, but not really the black students in Parkland. He said his school was made up of about 25% black students. The black students were just essentially left out. And you know I'm glad he made that point, because I... Dead ass thought it was an all white school. Yeah, because they didn't one fourth. <laughs> because they did not cover the black people who were affected by it at all. It's like I really just thought it was majority. I mean, it is. It's a predominantly white school, but you would have thought there was no black person in there the way the media was covering us, which is even ridiculous to me. And just to take it one more level, like I actually, 
actually feel weird when I say make comments like that. Like it, it, it sucks that it had to be a school where predominantly white kids were and were affected by it before this really went national. But it, and it's because I'm black, and I just I feel like I have this thing in the back of my mind like people aren't gonna care what I'm thinking mm-hmm. or what I'm saying about because because I'm black. But so it's really good, like you said, seeing, seeing the young generation and this a young white man, like really seeing that and speaking out against it. And like like you said, being inclusive, that's really what it's all about. So like, that's my hero for that. <laughs> <laughs> Shout outs to David. <laughs> um, and yeah, the March for Our Lives is really meant to include everyone, black people especially, especially those who lost their lives to gun violence like Rakia Boyd, Ayanna Jones, Trayvon Martin, Stephen Clark. Now it's Stephen Clark. Yeah, the list just goes on and on. Philando Castile, Jordan Davis, Tamar Rice. Oh, God. It's like when I hear the names just repeated over and over, it's like I see the faces just flash before me, and it, it actually just really bothers me. So even though the movement started off as March for Our Lives, there's been talk about including, um, making it more inclusive in terms of also representing the people that Pierre just spoke about, March for My Life. So in terms of including the ones who lost their life to gun violence, not only in school shootings or down a block from their crib, but also police brutality, we can't talk about gun violence and exclude the, the black people who have lost their lives in random different acts in the U.S. pertaining to guns. Because if that's the angle we're going to use, this movement is not going to be effective. And luckily, the Parkland student survivors acknowledge that and they see it for what it is and they want to be inclusive. I hope it continues. Yeah. And I hope they remain consistent because we know how that could go. You know, they're all for the movement and things start going left and it's like the same what it is. This wasn't what it was founded on. Yeah. And some of the survivors of the Parkland shooting also visited Thurgood Marshall Academy, a high school in Washington, D.C., And the premises of the visit was to really just bring unity amongst the students and move forward in an effective strategy to just really minimize gun violence nationwide and in all communities. And in your opinion, what are the pros and cons of these kids following the movement throughout? Um, I don't think there's any cons whatsoever. This is great. Like, in my opinion, the fact that these young leaders are really stepping up it just gives me so much like excitement and and hope for the future because these are going to be the lawmakers these are going to be the next generation of police officers these are going to be the next judges like the neighbors the friends like the next generation yeah just like obama said just hope like it's going to it's going to be different going to be a lot of hope and prayer okay hopefully the trumps of the world they're getting up there in age and hopefully they're not passing it down because this new generation is just seeing the light that's the goal it's about the love i would say in regards to the cons is that things that have been happening so emma gonzalez one of the survivors was on the front cover of teen vogue and she was ripping up a target sign and someone had time like a lot of time on their hands to photoshop the picture and as if sh- the target sign is the Constitution. And it's like, so now you're you're trying to just bully 
this whole situation for what it is. And then you have some of these politicians and even people who are like pro-Republican um, that are really just attacking these students from all angles. There was one commentator talking about how about y'all take CPR. I was I was tight. like, bruh. I was like, yo, I was like, are you serious? Because CPR is going to save a life when you get shot. Right? I just got shot in the chest. Get this man CPR now. <laughs> What's that? Like, like, are you serious? So to me, the con of it is, is that their lives are being changed very drastically. They're practically public figures. Um, I'm sure they're being followed everywhere they're going. The bullying. You know, we talk about bullies and how we're supposed to evolve as a culture and a society and not bully kids and treat each other accordingly. You got adults bullying these kids. You got grown-ass people bullying these kids because they want to make some gun reforms that are about protecting and saving someone's life. And as a result, you got grown-ass people bullying them, calling them out their name, photoshopping their photos, twisting their agenda. It's just very disheartening because I'm like, this is this how far we've come as a culture and as as a community? And then again, I'm like, I had to stop. I was thinking about it. I had to stop and reflect. And I was like, you know, look who we have as our leader. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, at this point, when you bring it back to that concept, it's like, I'm not even surprised. Look who we got. Cheeto Hitler in office. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, I said it. I don't care. <laughs> I'm dead serious. So of course, <laughs> so of course, these kids are out here like not kids. These grown adults are bullying them because they see that from their leader, who's a bully, made it into office, still in office. What is going on with the impeachment? <laughs> like, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> like seriously. So to me, I'm not surprised as to where we are, but. That's the only con I see of it, but like, you know, with the pros, I think it's great these students are standing up. I kind of wish this march happened. I kind of wish it happened when Sandy Hook happened, because I remember when I found that out. You know, people be sleeping on Twitter, but I found out about Sandy Hook on Twitter. I was on Twitter, and I was like, what is everybody talking about? And I, I was like, are you serious? And when I seen the footage, I was so emotional, and I cried, because I was like, these are kids, these are babies, and it could have been prevented. And he was another one that had quote unquote mental illness. So it should have happened then. You probably would have been able to save some lives. Hopefully the, the movement continues and these kids really follow through on it. And also one last question for Coach Pete. What are your thoughts on the NRA now? You see they coming out left and right with statements. Um, Were you expecting them to fold and be like, oh, let's protect these kids and care? No. Shit. I thought they was for a minute. No way. I thought they was for a minute. People love their guns. It's 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 just weird to me. Like I thought they was for a minute because white kids were taking action and they were involved doing this. That's why I thought they were. But I guess they don't have no hearts. So apparently it doesn't matter. Go back to what you're saying. Sorry. Yeah, people love their guns. And it's just crazy to me that just even simple things like a background check to get a gun people are so adamantly against. It's a like, political issue. And just like like you said earlier in the show, it's crazy because the United States is leading the world in mass shootings. Nice. Like, 
We were number one in industry before. Now we're number one in mass shooting. We're not number one in education. Damn sure I ain't. We're not number one in exports. Like We're number one in mass shootings. I feel like people really need to let, let that sink in. Like that's what, that's what we're doing better than any other country in the world. And I don't think there's anything that we're doing better than any other country other than that. So, yeah. That's crazy. So, in addition to this, like, like Kiana said, this heinous tragedy that happened in Parkland, there was the incident with the Austin bomber. And... Also known as a terrorist. Let's, let's clarify that. Okay? They finally declared him a terrorist. Like, weeks later. Kiana, she got you, me tight. Kiana was calling him a terrorist from day one. From jump, bruh. After the first bomb. I was like, what are y'all waiting on? It's like, if you use a bomb, like, the first... <laughs> like, once you're using a bomb, you should automatically, like... Bomb automatic terrorist. <laughs> it's just... I don't get it. I don't understand it. So, the first victim of the the bombing was Stephen House. He died at the age of 39, and the, the way it happened, the package was delivered to his home, and once he opened the package, the bomb detonated. He actually received a Bachelor's of Business Administration from the Texas State University in 2009, and just, again, taken too soon. The second victim was Draylen Mason, who died at the age of 17 years old. Again, with the package being delivered to his home, opened the package with his mom home and by his side, and the package detonated. Fortunately, his mother survived, but he didn't. He was a gifted bass player and an aspiring neurosurgeon. He received several offers from colleges he had applied to, one of them being Butler School of Music at the University of Texas, Austin. So, in kind of going back to what we're saying about being considered a domestic terrorist, we were just getting lots of trolls and people just... Not a lot, just two. (laughs) Becky and Billy. (laughs) I set their asses straight. Had me tight. (laughs) Continue. Yeah, just... (laughs) Like, people were really just fighting to really defend and say... He's not a terrorist. He's not a terrorist. And I'm like, really? Like, is that what you, like, out of everything that's happening, you really think that's the most important point to, like, just to make it clear, he might not be a nice guy, but he's not a terrorist. And the thing is that bothered me is her point was irrelevant. So to continue with, because it was four bombs, apparently. This guy had a lot of time on his hand. So fun fact, both Steven and Draylon were prominent members of Austin's African-American community. Stephen was a stepson of Freddie Dixon, which was a former pastor at a historic black church in Austin, according to the Washington Post, and Dixon is friends with Mason's grandfather. So there's been speculations that, you know, the bombs were intentionally meant for these two specific men and the roles that they play in their church and in African-American, African-American community. Keeping in mind that Austin, Texas, which is another debate I have with the troll on there, is they have their level of segregation and racism. No surprise there. It's down south, bruh. So it 
they were saying there was talks around it being intentional and you know maybe it probably was an actual attack meant for Steven and Draylon. Funny enough, they have not really been developing that as much, which I think they should work on it, even though this the terrorist is dead, but they should still follow through on it. Cause I don't I personally don't think he carried out all of this on his own. I feel like he had help. They need to go find his little helpers. Um the third bomb was a 75-year-old woman. She suffered injuries. She was able to survive it. Now the fourth bomb happened after there was speculation that this was considered a hate crime. Now, after reports started coming out, homeboy started to get a little creative. So he left like a bomb that was like alongside the road and it was triggered by a trap wire. There was two men walking alongside it and it triggered by trap wires. They both survived it. So the only two people that died from the package bombing is Draylon and Steven because it was delivered intentionally to their homes. So this 23-year-old terrorist's name is Mark Anthony Condit and apparently he killed himself. And the police chief, they finally declared him as a terrorist. This was the issue that I had with Becky on the post. <clears throat> was that she was like, the government has not declared him as a terrorist. And I was just like, this is the same government that is standing in line with the man that says let's make America great again. Like, I was just like, the points that I was trying to make to her is that I really don't perceive it as a situation of waiting for the government to declare him as a terrorist. Because at the end of the day, when these situations happen, especially if it's white men involved... The government and the media is very apprehensive about calling these people terrorists. But if he was a black man, like the D.C. sniper that shot those cops, he was a terrorist. When the guy came up from D.C. and he shot those two police officers and he had mental illness because he shot his girlfriend before he came up here from D.C., they was trying to classify him as a terrorist. And it was like, well, can we backtrack that he has mental illness? But no, that wasn't it. It's because he killed, he intentionally killed two cops. He's automatically a terrorist. And that's what I was trying to explain to her. It was just that it is not, to me, it's, I don't need the government to declare that. There's enough surrounding evidence for me to come to the conclusion that this dude is a terrorist. And now the chief has declared him as a domestic terrorist. I'm not sure what they was waiting on because he's dead. So I guess they was waiting on his approval and his confession tapes, but he didn't say much of that. But to me, it's like, why is it when it comes to white men in these positions, it's like, oh, no, we, it's not that. They're not that. But if it's a black man, y'all automatically classify him a terrorist before y'all even look through the evidence. So that's the point I was trying to make to her about it on a post. And that's the problem. And, she, and you know why I went toe-to-toe with her? It was primarily for, there are people that's going to come on our page. I want you to get educated. The whole premise of what we do here on Unapologetically Different is to build awareness. So someone's going to read what I said back to her and realize, and they're going to pick up on something. They're going to learn something. It's all about building awareness. And at the end of the day, we all can't run from these conversations. You're going to have trolls. You're going to have people to try you. I'm open to constructive criticism and having that conversation. If that means that it's going to open up your mind and make you get to a place of understanding, cool. But when you start just being straight ignorant and you just not trying to be receptive and open-minded, I can't deal with it. So that was the issue with me and her on the post. But to bring it back to her point about when or when is someone classified as a terrorist, primarily, particularly a white man? And um, do you think with what I provided you that Draylon and Stephen death was strategic? Or maybe it was just like, a wink a dick. I don't know. I don't think you send a bomb to someone's house 
Like you just pick a random address to send it to, and they just both happen to be in Austin. Like I don't know. Yeah. I think it is sketchy, and if I had to say, and again, I don't have, I don't know this man. I don't know anything about him. You but, don't have the answers for <laughs> But I wouldn't say it was a coincidence. I would think it would was something more pre premeditated. You think he had help? That I don't know. I I really couldn't say about that because I don't know what it takes to make a bomb with fucking YouTube. <laughs> you can literally I feel like people probably can do that on YouTube themselves. Um no, it's true. I don't know. I think that's it's very valid. Like, I don't know. I feel like he just didn't carry this out on his own. It's just, I find that hard to believe. I don't know. Since Charlottesville happened, I'm just looking at them a little weird. It's like, oh, y'all really stay together. Like, it's just awesome. Y'all have secret meetings and shit. Like, this is what y'all do? So, I really don't, I don't believe he did this on his own. I really don't believe it. I just think he took the fall. I don't believe it. And my question is to the police department, are they properly investigating this all the way through? Okay, you classify him as a terrorist. What's next? That's not going to shut us up. What's next? I need y'all to follow this through. I don't believe he did this on his own. I want to know what help he had if it was an inside job. Maybe the person was a part of the police department. That's why y'all not looking no place else. I'm telling you. Scandal on the first 48 be having my mind going. I'm sorry. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. But... To keep it all real and stuff, we talk about these topics and we try to keep up the energy and be upbeat because these are really hard, <clears throat> dense topics. For those of you who can't see us visually because it's a recording, um, but even when Pierre was talking about Stephen Clark, at one point he was getting like a little choked up and you could see it in his face. Like These topics are very near and dear to our hearts, both of us, not just because we black and we from the hood, but it's because it's a humanity issue. And so we try to be a little lighthearted in terms of when we talk about these topics and we just also, and we also try to end on a good positive note. And for those of you who are doing the work, who are protesting, who are um, doing the groundwork and are watching these videos, whether you want to or not, I don't need to see police brutality on film to know what happened. I, I get it. I already know what time it is. I know what story they're going to use and what they're going to lie about. Um, some people who want to move forward and continue to watch it, like, PF, that's what you want to do, then go ahead. Some people, they need to visually see every single detail to understand and see if that's what really happened. I'm at a point right now, I don't feel the need to do that because it gets to me psychologically. It really does. It gets to me and it gets me down and it puts me in a very bad place. And as black people and as people of color being in this country, we have to know our limits. You can be involved in these, in, um, in these protests and these marches, which I think are very important. You can involved in engaging in these conversations with trolls or not do what you can but know when to step back and kind of collect yourself you know reflect reevaluate do some self-care i think it's very important because if you get really engrossed with all of this like a lot it's going to bring you down so we really try to in terms of bringing up these conversations we try to sneak in a joke here and there if we can and also try to end on a positive note because health is wealth and we ain't doing nothing for our community if we killing off ourselves real talk yeah definitely um so coach p what you got for me <laughs> yeah, so boy. to open up season five this first coach p segment 
what I really want to talk about is performance. And when I say performance, I mean performance in the face of fear, in the face of failure, just really being someone who gets things done, whatever it is. So we all have things that we're up to in our lives and goals we want to accomplish. And the only thing that's separating us from those goals is just taking action. And it's that simple, but the caveat there is that it's not always going to be easy. You, especially when you're up to something really big, you can almost guarantee it's going to take some hard work to get it done. Facts. And I heard a quote the other day that that really, really was very interesting to me. Uh, my brother told me, most people don't live life to succeed, but they live life to not fail. And Oh, I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very interesting and just telling. Like we, We're so used to just staying in our comfort zone when everything that we want is really a step outside of that. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I have four tips for, to taking action and really creating results and just becoming a performer in the face of fear and in the face of failure. So as humans, we all have this thing called our brains. We've all, we all know about it. And they're super powerful, but they can have a downside too. So the thing about failure is that when we fail at doing a task, something that's really important to us, like I'm going for that job interview or I'm, I'm trying to meet that girl and we fail, a lot of times we collapse. You failed at a task and calling yourself a failure. Mm-hmm. And it's like when you really think about yourself as that failure, that's when you really stop taking actions. And just to give you guys an example, I remember when I was in the sixth grade, there was this girl that I had a crush on. Her name was Rosie. Shout out to Rosie if you're listening. He was trying to bag. <laughs> definitely was. I, I was definitely in my bag. I thought I thought I had a shot and I shot it. <laughs> and she shut me down, told me I was a nice guy, but she really wasn't interested and Right there in that moment, I was just like, damn, that was the first girl I ever liked. And she just shut it down. And I thought I had a shot, too. So (laughs) it's crazy just thinking about it. But like really in that moment, I said to myself, like, Steph Curry, bro. Exactly. (laughs) In that moment, I was just like, I'm I don't I don't get the girls. I'm not that guy. Clearly not, because. It didn't work out, and I thought we had a good thing going on. So it was sixth grade, bro. <laughs> and, that, and and you see, and that's the thing. That's how our minds really work. We really like a lot of decisions that we make as a child. We're really playing those decisions out into our adulthood. This like, is true. We make a split second decision based on an uh, incident that happened to us, and it really shapes our whole world. So, Coach P dropping gems, y'all. Yeah, it, it's crazy, especially when you really get present and you really like see what those moments were. Um, so, the way to really get out of that and really just get yourself out of your head and just get that like real negative mindset and that fear of failure out, the first tip is really to ask yourself the right questions. So, our brains are really designed to find answers to whatever questions we're asking. And there's this set of nerves in our brain called the reticular activating system. I know that sounds mad geeky, <laughs> but I love it. I love it. Yes, <laughs> yeah. But the so the 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 acronym is the RAS, and it's really like a heat-seeking missile that's really used to filter out data and just find information. So like, you ever been in a crowd and 
someone just says your name and your ears like perk up instantly. Yeah. And it's because your name is like the most important thing, like the sweetest sounding word to you. So if you hear your name in a crowd, like your brain automatically just like, it just, Mm -hmm. it's trained to just like see what's going on. Like someone calling me like, yeah. So that's your RAS working. And so whatever your thoughts are on, your RAS is going to find that. So if you're asking yourself negative questions, your brain is automatically designed to really give you answers to whatever you ask. So if you're asking yourself like, why do bad things always happen to me? What can go no- what can go wrong next? Like, why am I always a failure? Why am I a loser? Like, once you ask those questions, your brain's automatically going to start just giving you a list. Boom, exhibit A, B, C, D, E. And then you're just going to build a context in your mind that really just disempowers you. So the way to really... I like that. Yeah. And so the way to really get around it is to learn to start asking yourself the right questions. Really ask questions that are going to be empowering and really hack that RAS system in your brain. So like some examples of empowering questions to ask are, what is the lesson am I meant to learn from this? Or how is this serving me to become the best version of myself? Or something like, who do I have to become to get this task done? Or what is going to be my experience of myself when I get through this? Like when you're really asking those forward thinking, empowering questions, you build like a real good context. And within that, it's going to be much easier to take the actions because you're not looking from like fear and scarcity and doubt. So rule number two, this one I really like. It's the five-second rule. And the five-second rule was really popularized by Mel Robbins. You can definitely get her book called The Five-Second Rule. And the way it works, it basically hacks your brain into getting out of all that story, all that talking that goes on in there that's like doubting and questioning and stopping you from taking action. So... Oh, we can add it to our book club. Yeah, that's a good (laughs) idea. I like that. Um... So the way the five-second rule works, just to give you an example, let's say you're committed to waking up 6 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to go to the gym today, and you don't want to get out of bed. It's and that's like, what Pierre does, guys. Like, yeah. seriously. He gets up at 6 and go to the gym. So it's like it's too cold, it's early, I'm tired, I have I can sleep in. Your brain's going to just start giving you all the reasons why you shouldn't yeah. do it, even though you really want to. So the trick is you say five, four, three, two, one. And you have to say it out loud. Like once you do that, it activates the a part of your brain that really shuts off all that mental talk and fog that's going on. And then at one, you have like a split second to get up and take an action before those thoughts start coming back. And if you use that rule, five, four, three, two, one, and then you act right away on that, then you have an opportunity to just really know yourself as someone who's just going to take that action. And I've used it to help me get out of bed. I've used it when I like I needed to have a real serious conversation with my boss that I was really nervous about. I would go five, four, three, two, one, just walk, attack, just go right for it. So that rule is definitely powerful and it's so simple, but it works so well. Like what do you see yourself using it for, Key? Like what 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 for you is something that you get in your head about instead of really taking action on? I mean, for me, it's hard getting up very early in the mornings. I'm trying to get myself in a routine of getting up. I mean, 6 o'clock is a Mm no-go. We're not there yet. Um, We, meaning me, she, and her. We're not there yet. (laughs) Um, 
So for me, it's getting up early in the morning. I'm I lay in the bed and so I'm like, all right, I'm gonna get up, and I'm like, I'm gonna get up in ten minutes, and in ten minutes, and it's just like, all right, get up now. Um, and then sometimes I end up being late depending on where I'm going. So getting into the habit of getting up quickly and more promptly, and also having a morning routine is I'm really big on that because I notice when I have like if I do like journal writing or meditation maybe a couple yoga moves in the morning, if I do some of that, my day flows better. And I know it off the rip because when I go on a train <laughs> and I am tried yeah, because they don't want to do their jobs, i.e. conductors or what have you, I let stuff go. And I know off it, I'm like, oh, today's going to be a good day because you know what? I'm not even bothered by that. And there are certain things that probably would annoy me, doesn't annoy me, and I brush things off where people are just like, oh, you mad? Cool. I'm like, yeah, I'm chilling. Like... So that for me is really big and that's something I would love to work on. Yeah, so I challenge you and I, I'm definitely putting you on the spot so you can come back next episode to really try that. Tomorrow morning, whatever time you got to wake up, when that alarm hits, don't go for the regular, I should be getting up. Uh, like that conversation is going to be there. I challenge you to actually try that rule out because it's so powerful and it's crazy how it works. Just speak out loud, five, four, three, two, one, and then on one, get up out of the bed. And you'll see, like, wait, hold up. How did that just happen? Like, the other day I was, we would have been in, like, five minutes into the conversation about this. No, it's true. I'm definitely going to try it. Awesome. I can't wait to hear how that works for I'm you. I'm going to let you know. Yeah. Coach P with the hacks. <laughs> um. So rule number three, or sorry, tip number three is to really act, assess, and just repeat. So if you're really applying that five, four, three, two, one rule, at that moment you need to act and take action. And a lot of times we're all we're so stuck in our head trying to figure things out and get things done perfectly before we actually act. When the best way to really grow and get experience is through action, not through thinking about it. So when you're taking action on whatever goal you're trying to accomplish, whether it's starting a business, starting a relationship, starting a podcast. Like, by taking actions, then reassessing those actions, then taking new actions based on those assessments. That's what, how you're really going to, like, really going to get experience and grow quickly. And that's kind of what we've been doing with our podcast. Like, we pretty much just dove right into it. We bought the mic, and it was just like... We hit the ground running. Basically. And look where we are. And now we're motivating people to start podcasts. I have people tell me that, and they... They see the growth in our podcast and how much it has changed and evolved. So, you know, it's funny. A little idea that we had. Yeah. And now it's like it's becoming a full thing. It's amazing. Yeah, it definitely is. So really take action. Assess the actions that you take. If, if it worked, great. Continue doing that. And if it doesn't, try another action. Don't get caught doing the same thing if you're not getting results. And the last tip would be really stand in the commitment and, or really get present to what your goals are. You can always ask yourself, if I want to lose weight, is having that extra, I don't know, ding dong, is that going to get me closer or further away from my goal? And nah, if, but that drink tastes good, though. True. <laughs> Yo, them ding dongs is lit. But if you, really, if you really look at it from the perspective of if you have goals that you want to accomplish mm -hmm. or something you're committed to, before you take an action... Is this going to get me closer or further away? And if you really start asking yourself that question on a consistent basis, 
regardless of what you do, you're mm-hmm. going to realize I'm getting closer, 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 or I'm just getting further and further and further away. And just because you're really more aware to it, you're just going to be more conscious of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So just to wrap that up, the four tips, guys, is one, ask yourself the right questions. You really want to create an empowering context for yourself and really give yourself the edge. Two, get out of your head with the five-second rule. Count backwards, five, four, three, two, one, and on one, just go for it. Attack. Three, take actions, assess those actions, and then act accordingly. So you once you see if your actions are producing the results you want, awesome. Keep doing it. And if they're not, change them. Go in a completely different direction. Try something completely new. And lastly, really just have a goal in mind or what you're committed to. And any actions that you're going to take, always just check in. Is this going to get me closer or further away to what I'm committed to? Boom. All right. Coach P dropping gems, y'all. And, you know, it's still the beginning of 2018 for some of us who have New Year's resolutions, for those who believe in that, or goals. It, you can still plan out your goals, even though the top of your year may not have started off right. It's still in the beginning. We're still, we're now we're in April. So yeah. definitely take what Coach P is saying. And I think those are some really valuable lessons. And I actually want to read that book because mm-hmm. it sounds really, really good. Yes. Once again, guys, thank you for tuning in. Um, we really appreciate all the support and excited about season five. We got a lot of more content to bring you guys in. This is going to be a good one. It's going to be a great season. Yeah. Every season is a good season. In fact, we're going to make unapologetically different great again. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid. I hate you. So definitely make sure you go and cop that ringtone. You can get it on iTunes if you have Apple products or the Tune Store for Android users out there. And you can follow us on IG and Twitter as always at unapologeticd underscore. And you can find our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and on Facebook by searching Unapologetically Different. Lastly, you can send us an email at unapologeticallydifferent at gmail.com. No trolls, please. <laughs> I actually want the trolls. I want to see Key and the Trolls battle it out. <laughs> <laughs> you a mess. Stay tuned for our next episode. Bye.